the two-minute warning. And they'll have to run a play before it on the north side of it. Second and 16. The throw, and it's intercepted. Trevathan picks off Tony Romo, and the Broncos are set up with 1.57 to play. Don, it's Tuesday. You know what Tuesday means. What's that? Three days until Pearl Jam weekend, buddy. That's right. That, oh, that is man. for sure. We are jonesing over here, listening to the new Pearl Jam record, which is streaming on iTunes now, and getting ready for a weekend of uh, Pittsburgh Pearl Jam show. First one there since 2006, and then a hometown show on Saturday. Yep. Oh, it's really been since 2006, huh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's been since that waiting on a friend show at the Igloo. Yeah, I've just been down there a lot. It seems yeah, well, like we were there for your brother console. It's the first time we're gonna be at console since son. That's right. Yeah, champions win there. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the Sportscasters. It's season three, episode twenty nine, October eighth, two thousand thirteen. I'm Steve Bennett, Don Russ across from me. Good show for you today, Mike Tanier from SportsOnEarth.com. Going to talk about the NFL and one that we've been talking about doing for a long time. Bucky Gleason, a local guy from the Buffalo News, is going to join us. Talk a little bit about. The NHL season, which Don and I are also going to preview a little bit on the show today. Uh, we're going to do three things like normal, and uh, we're going to end the show with one last thing. I don't have anything else as sort of like a preview thing, so let's just get right into it and do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, I'm looking for that uh, countdown thing, and I don't remember what it was. It was on Google, right? I thought it was. Well, anyway, I'll get us started while you're looking for that. Let's just start, get started with the Bengals and the Patriots. Uh, the game where the Patriots not being able to get the ball downfield kind of finally caught up to them. And really the most exciting thing for me as a Saints fan in this game is Tom Brady's streak of consecutive games with a touchdown pass ended just three shy of when he would have been able to break Drew Brees' streak. Right. Which now means Brees' streak will be safe for at least a couple seasons. I think the longest streak right now, Peyton Manning has 28, I believe. Uh, but the Bengals get a really big win, a win that they really needed. You know, after losing to Cleveland at home and ruining a lot of eliminator pools uh, for everyone, the Bengals finally were able to get a big win, and now they're going to come to Buffalo at the perfect time, really, and we'll get to that more uh, with the struggles the Bills are going to be having because of injuries. And for the Patriots, you know, 4-1, and one, division doesn't look any stronger than it looked a week ago. They should be fine, you know. It took, Gronk will be back, so no big deal there. Yeah, uh, we skipped the Bills game. That was week one, or Thursday. Thursday, that's right. And uh, it was ugly. That was about... I was so... All right, here's what it's like to be a Bills fan. (laughs) You get excited after week two in the come-from-behind win in Carolina. Uh, The Jets poo all over that by just... It was a close game. It was a one-possession game, but it was not that close. Uh, And then you think... 
okay, they beat Baltimore. And I don't think the Baltimore game was all that close. I thought the Bills kind of dominated that game, actually, even though it was only one possession game. They just couldn't put them away. So you get excited again. You think Thursday night, the only primetime game they're going to have. And they come out They great. look great. Yep. Yep. They look pretty good. Uh, they slowed up a little bit and let Cleveland back into it. But they had the ball. They were driving again. And then Manuel just doesn't take a step out of bounds. And that that's the season, I think. I, I think they're they're done. And that's okay. I didn't expect too much. But it's just the damn Bills, man. Every year they show you a little bit of glimmer. And it's like, man, the AFC's down this year. Maybe they can find a way to get to 9-7 and seven and beat out somebody like I don't know, Cincinnati that was going to be that sixth wild card spot and we get a playoff game, but it sure doesn't look like it now. And now they're starting Thad Lewis, is that his name? That's right, activated off the practice squad, which I wonder if he's more capable to start this game. Why wasn't he the backup? Why wasn't he the backup instead of Tool? Because they both would be practice squad eligible. Yeah, I guess the thing is you have to kind of like wave a guy to go to practice squad. I think it's like sending him down in the NHL. Okay. And they thought that Tool might not make it through there. So, so they wanted to protect him, and now I guess he'll be the backup to Thad Lewis. Yeah, because clearly he's not ready to start an no. NFL game. But he shouldn't he looked, have to be. He he's an terrible. undrafted free agent. I mean, it's not his fault. But yeah, so. such such is life as a Bills fan. You get hope, and then there's none. And now I'm totally down, so that just means they'll, I don't know, upset two teams or something and make me hopeful again. All right, uh, Lions and Packers. So as uh, things change, they stay the same. The Lions haven't won a game in over 20 years in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, that's crazy. And the Packers just dominated this game a week after the Lions looked really good against Chicago at home. But I guess we found out that the Lions aren't as good without Calvin Johnson. Shocker. No, and something's wrong with Green Bay. I, I That game was close all game long. 6-3 at halftime. Yeah. It, I, I don't understand what's going on with them. Uh Aaron Rodgers, if you're a fantasy player, kind of saved your day at the end with a couple that James Jones just got away from people. Yeah, two long ones at the end. That's that's a close game. I don't think that Lions defense is phenomenal or anything like that. And Packers started so last year, so we'll have to watch them. Right, right. You know, they've already had a bye, so they're only they're two and two. So and we'll see how things go with them. The uh, I haven't solved the mystery of the missing timer, but it is missing. Someone oh, wrote okay. an article about how they launched a stopwatch feature in August, and now it's gone. Oh. <laughs> so right. apparently people weren't using the Google timer as much as I, I would like to. Chiefs Titans? Chiefs Titans. Uh, Chiefs look for real. Uh, again, you don't want this game to be as close. I don't know if the Chiefs can keep up with a team with a good offense like the Saints or Denver, but... Uh, I feel good for the Chiefs, but I feel bad for the Titans fans in the sense that this team might have had something without that locker injury. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would have loved to have seen where he was going to go, and hopefully that injury isn't quite as bad as it seemed and he can get back soon because they seem like they're a pretty good team. Yeah, hopefully they're – I don't have their schedule right in front of me, but, I mean, if it's not too brutal, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's the type of guy that I wish the Bills could have – come to an agreement and restructured his deal because I wouldn't mind Fitzpatrick starting for the Bills for the next three or four weeks or whatever it takes until Manuel gets back. But he's not going to go out and upset people. I mean, I know he beat New England, but... The Titans uh, have two games against Seattle and San Fran the next two weeks. Oh, perfect. Yeah, Yeah, that that should go really well. Then they have a bye week and then St. Louis and Jacksonville. So Well, yeah, so I guess you hope for two and two. Right. Like it shouldn't shouldn't be worse than that, but you probably aren't going to get any better than that either. All right, uh, 
speaking of Seattle, they lost their first game of the season to the Colts. The Colts are much better than they looked those first two weeks yeah. when they couldn't beat Oakland and could barely beat Oakland and then actually lost at home. It's strange. It seems like both teams, the Colts and somehow Cleveland, have gotten better since the Trent Richardson trade. And really, Richardson hasn't looked much different in Indy than he has in Cleveland. Like, if you're a fantasy player, you're probably really excited about that trade, and you haven't really hasn't paid off for him on the field. But yeah, I was wrong about the Colts. I it wasn't just me, but a lot of people were saying they were they were pretty lucky last year. With a lot of their wins, they won a lot of close games, late turnovers, just weird things happened, and they ended up winning a lot of games. But it seems like maybe winning close games—that's not a problem for them. Like maybe this—they're going to have the quarterback who wins a lot of close games. He does have a lot of—he's that late victories already under his belt. People so. slept on him a little bit with all the talk about the read option, and he's still going to be the best. All these quarterbacks have entered the league in the last three years. I think he's going to be by far the best of them. Sure, and he's not exactly a statue. He can't, he runs I, around a little bit, I too. I can't wait to see how they play in that Denver Indy game in a few weeks with Manning coming back to Indy. And yeah, that'll be fun. That. That's that's well before... Is that a primetime game? They don't start flexing until week 11. Yeah, oh, it's well before flexing. Oh, okay. It's uh, two weeks from now. It's the Sunday night game. Okay, perfect. Sunday, October 20th. Yeah, that'll be one of the higher-rated games of the season, I imagine. Uh, what else do we got here? Ravens, Dolphins. It's Dolphins good... feel like they're fading a little bit to me. Great yeah. start. Maybe not quite as good as that. They're going to be a pretty good team. They'll probably fight for that last spot. They're yeah. like a 9-7, and 10-6, maybe even 8-8. Eight eight I think they're better than Arizona was last year, but I heard them compared to Arizona last year. Like Of all the teams that were undefeated at like 3-0, and that they were the most like Arizona. That some some advanced stat that they were they were behind in actually showed that they weren't as good as their record. And I I agree. They're probably a nine and seven team. I wonder what advanced stats say about the old five Giants who look like one of the worst yeah, I don't teams know. of all time. Yep. I mean, if you can't beat can't the block, Eagles, can't run, can't pass, can't stop. Right. And the Eagles were a team that everybody was moving the ball on and. The Giants can't right. They can't do anything. They're really, really bad. Throw sixty yard passes. <laughs> that that's literally maybe the thing that they're best at. Yeah. They can get a ball down the field to Knicks or Cruz for a long play here or there. Yep. Yeah. Victor Cruz, uh, Ruben Randall had a big game. Yeah. I mean, a if you're a fantasy touchdowns. player, I guess their wide receivers are still worth having. But that's about it. Their defense went from oldish to nursing home in yeah. a half a season here. So David Wilson finally finds the end zone, uh, does, does his stupid flips, flips, and then uh, joke. he's going to be out this Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated to the backflips, but he might want to might want to simmer it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, dial it back. Yeah, act, yeah. Like, act like you've been there maybe. Uh, Panthers and Cardinals in kind of a game of – a lot of people going into this were high on the Panthers. Saying, yeah, oh, I would have thought so too. almost could have beat Seattle without a fumble. Right. And, They've lost in the last play of the game, basically, in Buffalo. I just don't think the coach they have is the right coach. It sure doesn't seem that way. Their quarterback has got bad body language disease and, <laughs> you know, doesn't have a whole lot of weapons around him. No, we were talking off the air about the uh, the Falcons, who we'll get to, being basically done. That division, at the beginning of the season, probably looked like one of the best divisions in football. Now it, the Saints are going to run away with that. I don't think it's... I mean, what week is that division going to be locked up by? Well, remember I was saying in the offseason, I'm really high in the Saints. If the Saints don't win 12, 13 games, it's going to be a downfall to me. And right, now thing, it would have to And the thing that, that people always said to me was, well, the division is really good. 
that might be a reason why right, it you might work out. You could have split any of those but games. That division's not doesn't seem very good anymore. No, and they won their toughest game there already. Right, the road Atlanta game. Yep. And they won the road Tampa game. They only have one road division game left. Right, and Tampa I mean it's Tampa's kept, got a good defense, so I guess that's they're not beating us in the dome. No, that's true. Yeah. You know, I mean we might lose a game in Carolina. Just because that's always a game the Saints might lose every yeah, year Carolina for plays whatever tough, reason. Weirdly. Yeah. I don't know. Game of the week certainly was the Denver Cowboy game. We played the highlight off the top there with Tony Romo just throwing that Tony Romo pick despite having one of the best played games in the history of the position. Yeah. I mean, almost broke the record. I saw a stat somewhere that said uh, he's the only quarterback to lose a game with 140-plus rating, and he's done it twice now. Oh, so... It- <laughs> It's, That's maybe the best game you'll see all year. It's not uh, on him in any stretch. It's just made one bad choice. Bad and it was just timing. a terrible time. Right. Somebody else said uh, Peyton threw one too earlier in the he game. Did. It's just it wasn't at the same time. And, and it was a pick that got them back in the Cowboys. You know, got them back in the game. It was a big, big change. The thing about the Broncos, I was saying this to you earlier, is I'll be number two to them in power rankings all year. I'm fine with that as a Saints yep. fan. So if we get to the point where we got a chance to play them in a Super Bowl, I'm thrilled with that opportunity because they can't play defense. So I'll take my chance in a shootout against them and hope that, you know, Manning blinks first. Right. Do the, so they don't play each other at all? Nope. So do if this, we see them, we see them in the Super Bowl. And do I'll the Saints for that play right Seattle? Yes, in Seattle. In okay. A, at a night game. That's going to be a very, very difficult game. Because I was going to say, I mean, are the Saints or Denver going to be an underdog in any game this year? The Saints probably are an underdog this week. In, in New, New England. England? Yep. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, that's a game they could... It, yeah, they it, could lose that. That's a free roll game. I said that to you before we started, too. Yep. Um, what else we got here? Jags, Rams, and the Who Gives a Shit Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen... Playing Gabbert's pick six, watch it because it looks like a punt. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I'm going to watch it after we finish yeah, recording this segment. It looks segment. like a punt. 49ers laid it down on the Texans, who really should try to avoid all night games. Like, they're just brutal in these night This games. is one of those things in the NFL where, uh, and in fantasy, I've had some leagues that use a tiebreaker of like who you've beaten as common opponents. And this is why it's a weird thing to do in football. 49ers go out and get smoked by Seattle. They smoke the Texans. Uh, who did Indy's one losses to one of those? Miami. Oh, Indy's losses to Miami. Yeah. Okay, right. Miami at home week two. But, like, the 49ers play so uneven this year. They play. Yep. Three, they're three and two. They have basically one loss, one loss, one loss all the way through pretty much. Right. They're, and they're basically unpredictable. Uh, they won week one, right? Two. Green Bay. Yeah, they beat Green Bay at home. And Kaepernick looks phenomenal. And then the last four games, Kaepernick looks like he doesn't want to throw a ball. He just wants to hand it off. They could get better as the season goes on and they get healthier at wide receiver. I think they're still, they could be, they're better than I thought they were, I think, still. Sure, they're, either them or Seattle's getting that five wild card spot, right? I mean, it's not going to be anybody from the East. It's not going to be anybody. Both those teams are making the playoffs. The Raiders beat the Chargers in a game that was most known for starting at 11.30 Eastern and ending almost at 3.00. Because of baseball. Yeah, because of baseball, which we'll get to in a second. And the Falcons said maybe goodbye to their season. Yeah, they're done. They're 1-4. They lost to the Jets at home on Monday night in a must-win game. Their defense is bad. Julio Jones might be getting shut down. Yep. Roddy White has another injury. 
hamstring. What's funny about this is all last year we kind of talked about how we never believed in the Falcons. I began, or one of my one last things this year was about how... You might have been wrong. Just defensive... Yards against. Yards against is like a weird stat to use and that the Falcons are maybe better than I thought they were. And then they come out and their D can't stop anybody. I mean, they let the Jets light them up last night. What's in the... Uh, Geno Smith looks looks good. Yeah, he's... Him yeah. and Terrell Pryor. Uh, if you're those teams, you have to be pleasantly surprised because those teams both were probably thinking, unless you really wanted uh, Bridgewater or somebody, then you're going to be disappointed because neither of those teams are going to are going to end up at the as the worst team in the league. All right, second thing this week, we talk about the baseball playoffs. And I share in this one as well. And all right, let's let's start with this. Uh, PNC Park and the playoffs are just as glorious and amazing as we always predicted it would be on this podcast. The Pirates winning the wild card game and then winning game three of their series against the Cardinals and, and losing game four, unfortunately. Just an amazing place to play a playoff game. And those two teams are going to play game five on Wednesday, the day after we're recording this. So you may or may not know the outcome, but. I would just say this. The Pirates season is a, a huge success, regardless of how that Game 5 against St. Louis goes. Uh, they got to play three home playoff games. Unbelievable atmosphere. They got the city loving the team again. And uh, they're going to be around for years to come. I'm really excited about the Pirates. Yeah, that was going to be my question. If they do this, or if they don't, are they it's not the a fluke, I Devil Rays or anything? Or the Marlins? Is that, are they... No, they're not the Marlins. So it's not... They're not built to win now, and they're not the uh, who was it last year? We were talking about picking on them this year. Oh, the Nationals. Yep, the Nats. No, 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 no. Good. And Garrett Cole, who I think they should pitch in Game Five. I don't know if they've said who they will yet, but he's a stud. And uh, the Cardinals, man, they got a one-hit performance from the pitcher that they got with the pick that was awarded to them for Pujols signing as a free agent, which continuously looks like. <laughs> One of the worst deals ever. The Cardinals just might be the best organization in baseball, which is why it'd be no shame to lose to them. The Braves. I'm not sure if I want to blast them now or save it for one last thing, but they did what they always do in the playoffs, and that's they lost in the first round, or the division series. They've lost seven series in a row now. They haven't won a playoff series since 2001. They lost in four games, and they did it with their best player, the supposed heir apparent Mariano Rivera, standing in the bullpen with his hands on his hips. Yeah, And uh, you know what, I'll get into the Braves more with one last thing, but I will say the coolest thing about seeing the Braves lose last night to the Dodgers was seeing Don Mattingly finally win a playoff series, getting the odds oh, yeah, that yeah. he could never get in 1995 with the Yankees. Uh, Don Mattingly, I think, is pretty universally known as just a really good guy. So good for Donnie Baseball, and it'll be interesting to see. I think the Dodgers look like the best team in the National League. Puig is a freak, pretty much. I think he had eight or nine hits in the series, including the, the leadoff double in the eighth last night before the game-winning home run. Thank God they didn't allow him in the All-Star game. Yeah. <laughs> Baseball purist. Thank God. Yeah. Right call there. Not an All-Star. Uh, so the National League looks like the Dod- well, it is the Dodgers versus either the Pirates or the Cardinals. And in the American League, Boston wins the first two games at Fenway. Then Tampa gets a three-run homer from Longoria. And then a home run in the ninth, a walk-off home run to win a game. They're going to play game four. I think it's going to be a tall task for the Rays to win this series. But they're maybe the best team in baseball in elimination games. They just don't go away. They just keep hitting. 
They get huge hits when they need them, and they've gotten them against the Red Sox several times. So I'm not going to count them out till they're out. And Oakland, a team with a 60 million-ish payroll, has a 2-1 lead over Detroit, a team with a 100-plus million-dollar payroll. Yeah. And they have a one nothing lead in Game 4 as we speak, trying to close it out. They'll get two shots at closing out the Tigers to try to make an unbelievable appearance in the ALCS. If I had to predict it right now, it sure does feel like Sox and Dodgers to me. Well, let's hope for our buddy Matt that it's... Uh... Oh, you're talking about just out... The series feels oh, the okay. World Series feels yeah, like Red Sox versus Dodgers. Yeah, but I'd take in a second Pirates. I mean, buddy Matt yeah. and uh, Dave. The Dave. Dave's got to be excited. Yeah. Um. Also, Chipper Jones uh, had his first pitch boycotted. What a joke! And uh, oops, I got something auto video playing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, Chipper Jones boycotted uh, all-time great Brave. Throw out the first pitch. What game was it? It was game one. It was game one. Okay. He's going to throw out the first pitch of game one. Everyone refused to catch it because on some radio program he predicted that the Dodgers, uh, would, win Dodgers would win in four. And you know what? I get that. Uh, you want your boy to stand up for his team. That said, prove him wrong. Like, a little bit even. You can't go out there and then crap the bed. And well, and the catcher totally who should right. have came out, who thinks he's the police officer of baseball, Brian McCann, didn't get a hit in the series. In the series. Struck out four times last night. Awesome. So, yeah, tough guy. See you later. Thanks for being a Brave. You're not going to be one next year. Someone's going to pay you a lot of money for you to be their police officer and clubhouse tough guy. Good for them. But I I won't miss watching that guy. All right, uh, my third thing this week, it's not an end for the victims, but it's a start. 19 victims in the Penn State uh, abuse scandal have been have reached settlements with Penn State. There's still a few outstanding cases that are still unsettled, but hopefully I never blame the athletes or the students at Penn State because why would you? And they're the ones that really suffered in all this and this is that whole problem with college football culture is that the only people that ever call, uh, pay the price are the, the kids and the and the students. Oh, we ran out of music. That said, hopefully Penn State can close this negative chapter soon and move on. And those kids that toughed it out and stayed with the team, knowing that they're playing for nothing but pride, really, uh, they can move on too. And hopefully this helps the victims start, get some closure and get whatever help they need. And an interesting thing, Joe Poznanski was on our last show two weeks ago and he talked a little bit about the scandal, and didn't it kind of sound to you like he was almost defending Penn State in a way? Well, <laughs> I don't know how – I'll let you guys interpret that. If you want to listen to it, it's on our website. He but came out in defense of – Certainly the book. Paterno himself. And Paterno, right. And that to me – that that's always been hard to do for me. I know Paterno didn't do anything wrong, but he knowingly – People will beat you up over this stuff. If you post something about this on the internet, Penn State fans will come out in groves to just trash your opinion on this. But he knew the guy was still working for him. And that's the only problem I have with Paterno. I don't think he helped the guy do I mean, there's, he didn't do anything illegal necessarily, but he knew the guy was still working there, and that was that's my problem with him. But, yeah, I, I agree with your thought about Poznanski. All right, last thing real quick, the NFL – has said today in their winter meetings in, in uh, 
that one thing, they're going to have three games in London, which just seems so forced to me. I don't know why they're trying to force the NFL down the throat of the people of London because it doesn't seem like they care all that much. And also they're going to start forcing teams to do hard knocks if no one volunteers. Yeah, uh, There's going to be some kind of incentive system, and there's also going to be ways you can avoid being the team forced. You know, if you've like made the playoffs, the playoffs in right. the last two years, you have a new coach, you can't be forced to do it. Uh, and it's kind of funny. Um, the uh, Justin Tuck of the Giants was asked about it, and he had a funny quote. The NFL is tripping. How are you going to pass a rule that forces you to be on hard knocks? That's hilarious. I agree, Justin. Yeah. Hilarious. All right, we are going to take a break. Come back with Mike Tanier from Sports on Earth. Our next guest is a Philadelphia sports fan, a former school teacher, and a staff writer at Sports on Earth. He is making his third appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Mike Tanier. How's it going today, Mike? Uh, it's going great. Every time I hear that Rocky music, I get pumped up, except after watching Eagles versus Giants on Sunday, that was like watching Rocky 7, 8, or 9. Like everyone's ninety years old and dead. That's how bad that game was. Yeah, I mean, what have you thought about the Eagles this year? Because they've been really interesting in the sense that I remember that first drive or two that on Monday Night Football was like, "Wow, this is really fast." I just remember being blown away about how fast it was. But then as it sank in more and more, you kind of like are going, "Wow, this could go wrong or that could go wrong." We've kind of seen a little bit of all of it. Where do you kind of stand on the Chip Kelly experiment? Kind of five games in here. I think you've seen him slow a few things down a little bit while at the same time keeping the core of that. And he said at the outset of the season that, you know, it was going to be a learning process for him as well. It's funny the vibe that we get here in Philadelphia where I'll be sitting between two fans, one of whom is talking about, well, you know, we can still pull 10 and 6 in this division and make the playoffs, and the other one already wants Chip Kelly fired, which is exactly how short a leash you have. I think you see enough things that work you haven't seen that sort of debacle that I think some people were anticipating. Uh, you see nothing's working, that this is something that's going to be viable and something that's going to grow. And, of course, the questions about Chip Kelly's offense ignore the fact that the biggest problems that the, de- that the Eagles really have right now are on defense. They're going to get into games like they had against the Broncos two weeks ago, where if they get a touchdown and a couple of field goals in the first half, 13 points isn't bad, except that you're down 28-13. to 13. Has the success of Andy Reid uh, played into the short leash that some people have been talking to you about in Philadelphia? <laughs> That's Philadelphia fatalism said that as soon as he went to another team, he was going to be great. So people right. kind of erase that. Um, and I think a lot of people they also get the fact that the things Andy Reid was good at and he accomplished. You know, people act like they forgot everything that happened from '99 to 2005, but they didn't. They recognize that he can come in and he can restore order to an organization and get everybody moving in the right direction. And that, that those things had unraveled over the years and years and years and years that he had here in Philadelphia. So, you know, what you're seeing in KC is somebody taking a lot of talent and organizing it and structuring it and getting it in the right direction. People get that. I think people also get that, you know, the Chiefs are not going to go 13-3 and this year, no matter how impressive they look. They're not going to be turning around and watching Andy Reid in a Super Bowl, at least not this year. 
What are some other things kind of a month or so, a little bit more in here that have caught your eye league-wide? What are some things that have surprised you or disappointed you or really any way you want to go with it? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a little bit of a handful. I think we're going to start with uh, some of the teams that we thought were going to be terrible who are not bad. you got the New York Jets playing on Monday night, looking very fundamentally sound in a lot of areas of the game. It's funny what happens when you get a quarterback who can throw downfield and you get some of that crazy circus atmosphere out of there and you replace it with just a, a basic uh, you know, disciplined approach to the game. Suddenly you can beat teams. You have the Cleveland Browns who suddenly had a hot streak and were 3-2. and two. Unfortunately lost to quarterback Brian Hoyer. But secondary to their quarterback situation, which I think they have to solve in 2014, is how good Ray Horton's defense looks. They brought in guys with Bar- Barkevius Mingo and Paul Kruger out there, and they installed a very blitz-happy defense. And that's what's getting it done for them, is the teams are getting keyed off on, they're getting some turnovers, they're getting some sacks, and they're giving like a, a kind of a weak offense a chance to win games. And then you got the Raiders, who now have Terrell Fire quarterback. Suddenly they have a prospect. Suddenly they can win games, uh, you know, with some scrambling and with some downfield passing. So they're not the joke we thought it was. So you've got these teams going in three and two, two and three, that suddenly you cannot sleep on. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you went that route with you know the teams that we thought would be terrible that are pretty good. I think there's still some teams that look pretty good that I'm not sure if secretly they might be terrible. Uh, Baltimore kind of comes to mind. They're three and two. I'm not really sure how I feel about them. Even New England at four and one. I'm not too sure how I feel about them. Obviously, they should get a boost. With uh, looks like Gronkowski's finally going to come back. Few teams in the NFC are are that way. The 49ers come to mind. I'm not really sure about them yet. How do you feel about the opposite way of what you kind of took at my last vague question? Well, it's funny because one thing we're seeing everything through right now is a cloud, and it's a Peyton Manning Denver Broncos cloud. We look at a lot of four and one, three and two teams, and on the one hand, you know, like the Ravens. Okay, they look uh, they look like the Ravens looked before last year, where they were going to win, a, go about ten and six, and like kind of be messy. You see that. You see the Dolphins are like they're improved. You see three through the window right now, a Peyton Manning and the Broncos, and we look and say, who's going to stop this? Who's going to control this? And that's where you start looking at some of these teams and saying, that's not good enough, that doesn't add up. I think the 49ers uh, aren't that different from the team they were last year, where there's still a lot of youth. I mean, Colin Kaepernick still has not had 16 starts in the NFL. So you have some of these games where uh, you know, things fall apart on them, and then you know, they turn around and they, and they spank the Texans. Um, but that's what you get, the any-giving Sunday factor. We're really starting to see things shake out now. We saw the Seahawks shake out and have like a, a bad game. Uh, we saw the Patriots, it came to roost finally that they really couldn't throw the ball downfield against a very good Bengals defense. So that's where we're supposed to be right now, with a lot of teams kind of in the mix, in the hunt, and we're still learning about them. Are you surprised that the Saints are as good as they've been so far, 5-0? and and, and really, some of those games, if you really look at them, it was the defense that kind of held the team in it when it was close enough to go either way, not the offense like you would usually think. And, and that's it. Uh, I mean, I think I had them winning the division, and, I, and not many people did. And I was shocked people are falling asleep on the veteran core of a team that was in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But you're absolutely right. Uh, some of the games that looked like on paper they were really offensive domination games were defensive domination games where they kept giving Drew Brees a chance, and in the fourth quarter he pulled away. That's not the case what we saw in Chicago where the offense looked much better. And this is a team we start with. Offensive players that we all know are proven at our Super Bowl caliber, including a Hall of Fame quarterback. They had a defensive core that wasn't bad and was Super Bowl caliber a couple of years ago, but between coaching and Bounty Gate and, and, and all the, the succession they had there, 
that kind of turned into a wreck last year. So I'm not surprised by them at all. I'm surprised that people are surprised that if you take Sean Payton, add Rob Ryan, put some new faces on defense, and give Drew Brees the ball, that they're going to be a team that's going to win a lot of games. You know, one thing that came up on this show a lot in the offseason was, you know, people were really interested to see how defenses were going to respond to the read option. And I think, I think it was Troy Aikman who made a really good point, is that he felt like teams spent so much time in the offseason focusing on how they could stop the read option that the pocket passers like Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Tom Brady, who at that time were all undefeated, you know, maybe have suddenly gotten an edge that they defense has forgotten, oh, we got to stop these guys too. They focus so much. You buy into that at all? Any thoughts on, I'm pretty sure it was Aikman who threw that theory out. I think it's a little easy probably to go in that direction. I and mean, I think if you look at some of the teams that the Broncos have faced, I, I don't think these were teams are saying, oh, my goodness, we have to worry about the read option. Maybe the Cowboys right. were right. Uh, because they have so many. They have to worry about Chip Kelly and RG3. Uh, a lot of the people I talked to in the offseason you know, reminded me that the real innovation, even with Chip Kelly, it is not necessarily the read option. It's the tempo. It's the pace. That's the final frontier. That's the next stage. As teams go more and more into a no-huddle, be able to do more things out of the no-huddle, diversify what they do so it's not a passing attack, that's where the innovations are coming from. That's one of the things that the Broncos are using to kill opponents, and of course, they've been doing that for years. And I think that's the thing moving forward that's going to come out of this. If you've noticed, you know, with RG3 hurt and with Colin Kaepernick trying to do something else and now Michael Vicker, there's not a lot of read optioning going on. You're seeing teams do it once or twice a game. It's turning into one of those things like a reverse or another little wrinkle that comes in from time to time, and it might settle in as that, with a few teams maybe using it five or six times a game and a few teams using it once or twice. And once it becomes that, it just becomes another thing that defenses prepare for. It's not something that you know changes their entire offseason. Something makes them susceptible to a, to, a, to a Manning or a Breeze or a Brady. You know, a lot of the excitement around the younger quarterbacks in the league was, was kind of focused on this, and as everything has kind of played out a little bit this year and what you've seen last year, Maybe who is the guy that, if you could pick any of these first, second, third-year quarterbacks in the league, that you would maybe want the most to start a team right now? Would it be luck after all the yeah, talk about the, three? Yeah. The same guy, exactly. The same guy I wanted last April, the same guy I wanted last January. is the guy I want now, Andrew Luck, because I'm not sitting here worried about, you know, what, will the scrambling become a factor or will the height become a factor? You have a guy who can do enough of those things that you can actually run a read option or two per game or have him scramble for yards. But I think what we saw from him you know, against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, against the toughest defense in the NFL, the toughest secondary in the NFL, where every completion had to be picture perfect because if it was an inch off, it wasn't going to get done. Or if it was a second late, it wasn't going to be a completion. You saw what he did under those circumstances, and you can really see you know, how special a guy he was. It's just easy to get overlooked because he's not running for a lot of yards. The Colts are off people's radars, uh, but, but that is... You know, that's the franchise quarterback. There's nothing against Wilson, there's nothing against Griffin, there's nothing against Tannehill. But he's kind of proving now that, you know, once the dust has settled, this is the guy, or at least one of the guys, that is always going to be there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting about how he was overlooked last year, and I think a lot of senses, you know, there was Griffin had the year he did, and that's so flashy. And then also, so much of the focus last year around the Colts was around the coach and some of the issues that he was having and the Chuck right. Strong stuff. You know, maybe that plays into us kind of overlooking uh, Luck a little bit as well. Uh, thinking about a couple more, we're just kind of bouncing all on, around the NFL here with Mike Tannier from SportsOnEarth.com. Uh, there's going to be a, another, you know, bombshell late on in the league today with this PBS Frontline League of Denial 
documentary, which I think airs for the first time tonight, which made news in the preseason because ESPN kind of backed out, and there were some theories that maybe the NFL pressured him into that, or who knows about that. But um, what do you forgetting that part of it? How do you think the league has done so far this year with the rules and the protocols and the things that they're trying to do to increase safety around the league as player safety has been such an issue here the last couple of years. Well, of course, League of Denial is talking about mostly things that happened a few years ago, and there's a, there's a lot of things to be repentant about from a few years ago, things that should have been done quicker, better, more honestly, more openly. You know, moving forward, I, I see a lot of positives. I think a lot of, there's a lot of naysayers who just assume that it's still League of Denial in 2013. Yeah, but I think the process is moving forward. The protocols are taken more seriously. You know, when I hear, okay, this person had a concussion and we're in stage one, we're in stage two, and they missed the next game. When Terrell Pryor, who's key to his organization, misses a game uh, because of the concussion protocols, that's a sign that this is being taken more seriously. Is it an ideal solution? No. Are there more things that they can do on a variety of different levels? Yeah, I, I think so, but there's a lot of positives. You know, I look at a guy like Kevin Cobb, who, you know, unfortunately, it looks like his career has been impacted by concussions and he might not ever return. He would have been forced out onto the field a couple of years ago. He would have been like, what's your problem? It would not have been diagnosed in that way. There would have been pressures on the other side for him to resume his career. And we're not talking about next year if he feels like he's capable. We're talking about, you know, for week two or whatever. These are the positive steps that are in the right direction. We're slowly moving that way. It's not ideal. Draw Pryor still wound up there on the field for a couple of series and people saying, oh, we didn't see the hit when we all saw it 37 times on the, on the replay because the play was reviewed. But we're seeing progress and we need to make sure that progress continues a couple interesting kind of small notes coming out of the owners meetings today uh one was that the league is going to like create some kind of incentives for teams to do hard knocks they're going to hope for volunteers but if there aren't any volunteers (laughs) is this a show that can work forced i don't think it's a show that can work forced i'm shocked that this is such a priority for the NFL, is probably, the NFL doesn't need publicity. I mean, we're like, oh my God, we need to get on hard knocks because otherwise people are going to forget us and we're going to blow away. I don't understand that. I know many, many teams, an increasing number of teams have been reluctant to be involved with it. They don't like having all that attention. They don't like the line that the light shines on them. They, they saw what happened to Jets a couple of years ago, the Bengals a couple of years ago. They invited them back this year, but they looked really bad on that. I am shocked that that's such a high priority, and I'm wondering what kind of incentive you can offer. Like a fourth-round pitch for doing hard knocks? Uh, that, I mean, I don't even get why you would even uh, consider something like that. Yeah, I can't wait to find out what, what these incentives are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> London is going to go up to three games. you surprised by that at all? I am surprised. This is a, another push that I think the NFL kind of pushes in the wrong direction. You know, talk, there are fans overseas. They're not necessarily fans of any particular team that are eager to go to Wembley and see a game. And the thing I keep hearing over and over again is the expense of going to the game. You know, as an NFL fan in England, you, you put out the kind of money it takes to get there, go to Wembley. Prices are exorbitantly high. You get there and you discover that there's no real NFL atmosphere because you're not surrounded by the other fans. You're surrounded by, you know, kind of VIPs, and, you know, looky-loos, things like that. So they get none of that. You know, your NFL fan in England would be like, well, I'll, I'll come to America on a vacation and I'll see a game or I'll watch it on direct TV. So I, I don't know what they're accomplishing. Once again, what, what did we send there last week, the Steelers against the Vikings? I mean, we're, not, we're not sending really good product there, and it's hard to pick a year in advance what good product is going to be. Yeah, there's no flex scheduling for the London games, right? 
absolutely no flex scheduling. And, and again, you have you know, a team like the Steelers who were in disarray, uh, you know, doing poorly, had to like revamp their roster. Just what they want to be is be in London while this is going on. You're not at their facility, not with everybody circling their wagons. Kind of a bad idea. Uh, you wrote a really interesting column, I thought, on SportsOnEarth.com where you write about fourth and one. Really in-depth statistical analysis. You used your football outsiders connections and it's really interesting about fourth and one and it's it's kind of hard to to go over it kind of quickly or kind of explain it but do you want to kind of lay out your theories on it? the Saints and Bears game would have been the perfect game to be watching with you last week while you were working on this column because I think the Saints had five different fourth and ones and went at it like five different ways I think they kicked a field goal once I think they punted once I think they went for it once I mean it was just a crazy Every different way to handle fourth and one was kind of used that day. Tell us a little bit about fourth and one and why you wrote the column and some of the things that you laid out in it. And, and that was a good example because they also went and watched the line and did a hard count and it worked a lot right. of fourth and one yep. to get the Bears. And it was, bra- it was it was a vet too. It wasn't like a rookie. It was um, it was uh, the linebacker there. Uh, it was it Anderson or Williams. No, it was Briggs. Was it Briggs? Yeah, I don't it, know. It, it was like three Briggs. Or four guys it jumped. was Briggs. Was the was the first guy who got over. Well, you know, because he knows, uh, among other things, that the Saints are aggressive on fourth down. And most of the statistical, and in fact, any statistical study you do, is uh, you discover that fourth and short conversions work. They're a good percentage gamble over and over again. When we're talking about in at midfield, past midfield, maybe on the other side of midfield, even when you get down to the red zone, the completion rates, the conversion rates hover around 63%. When you do a quarterback sneak, which usually means it's fourth and inches, you're up in an 80% success rate. So this is obviously a really good percentage play for a lot of teams in a lot of situations. But of course, I, I also talked about why it isn't used as much in between the old traditions where in the old days punting was what you did. The how criticism coaches get when they fail on fourth down. And of course, it's, uh, we're coming up a Monday night game with the Falcons. The Falcons are legendary for fourth and one gambles that don't pay off. They had a couple in the playoffs last year. They had a couple uh, last night you know, fourth and inches at the one-yard line, and they can't put it in, and they could have kicked a field goal. Those come to define a coach's career, not because they do them too much, but because we do, they do them so little that we don't see enough of them. They see if we did this over and over again, it would work two-thirds of the time. And the other thing is you brought up the Saints game. When you go fourth and one and you convert it, uh, and then you score a touchdown eight plays later, we see the touchdown eight plays later on the highlight reel. We don't see the fourth and one, so we don't know what happened. But if you fail on fourth and one, it's a storyline. So uh, with all those things factored in, it is a very, very good gamble, but one that a lot of coaches are not willing to make. Yeah, look for yourself. Go on sportsonearth.com and look for it, and it's filled, filled with percentages. More than I want to like try to scout off right now. Right, yeah. It's better read than talked about on a podcast, but definitely <laughs> definitely worth uh, checking out. Uh, you can find Mike Tanier's work, like he said, on sportsonearth.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Mike Tanier. Uh, kind of last thing, we'll let you go on this. We, we spend so much time in the offseason making predictions and, and projections and it's it's you know they're bad to look at looking back because we find out how many we had wrong but at this point if you could change any prediction you made over the off season, what would you what would you change oh i would turn my entire nfc east upside down i'd like to just kind of trash the entire thing but there are so many i was actually thinking looking back on the regrets and things i should have been skeptical on the yeah, two that come to mind are the overall talent level of the new york giants that these guys are kind of running on fumes. Once you look past 
Tuck, Manning, Victor Cruz, and like three or four other guys. It was a lot of guys who would be a practice squad level players if the team was really good. And we've seen that. And the other thing is not taking a longer look at the other 52 Redskins because we were so busy looking at the ligaments inside of RG3's knee. And, and if we had seen that, we might have seen the slow start, see the problems they have on defense. And kind of looked at that division in a different light and said, well, maybe this is an opportunity for the Eagles to surprise, but more importantly, an opportunity for the Cowboys, who still have all that veteran talent, to kind of have the start they had. I know they're only two and three, but obviously they're coming off of a real, uh, putting a real scare to the Broncos. Right, yeah. Mike, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, always a pleasure, man. All right, thanks to Mike Tanier for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. Love sportsonearth.com. Quick uh, one-week break from 5 on Fantasy to talk about the start of the NHL season, which started last week when we were on a quick one-week break. And we're going to have someone on, Puck Daddy, Merrick. We're trying to work something out in the next week or so. And Plus, after this, we're going to do some NHL with the NHL columnist at the Buffalo News, Bucky Gleason. But before we get to that, just a couple of opinions from Don and I in the NHL season. Uh, where do you want to start with this, Don? How about this? Just like, what about, uh, we always ask our guests this, I'll ask you this. What about the NHL season this year are you most interested to see play out across the league? It's almost unrelated, I mean, not un- almost, it's unrelated to the league, but I'm interested to watch the Olympics again. That's always fun, I, although they're going to be at what time? Some Early in the a.m. Early in the a.m., yeah. but, but still, the Olympics are always fun to watch, uh, Boy, this is a tough question for me this year, being a fan of the Sabres, because it's after the first three games, which are brutal games. It's a tough stretch of games. It's not like they played any cupcake teams, but they sure look like they're gonna be a cupcake team. And Sabres, yeah, lots of backup goalies coming to the HSBC Arena this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Center. So, what I'm looking forward to this year, I guess, from my team's perspective, is seeing the young guys develop. And I hate to say it, but it, it's one of those years you hope they go in the toilet, I think, and end up with – I don't know who the top hockey players are. I never do until it gets closer to draft time. But I guess hope they get one of them studs that comes out every single year. I know people don't know the names in the draft as much as they do in the NFL, but there's no more surefire draft picks than the NHL draft. I'm just excited to see who wins the first uh, Metropolitan Division championship. Yeah, yeah. Metropolitan? Come on. Everyone involved with this, it's not an original thought, but everybody that talks about this is why isn't it the Lemieux, Gretzky, or right. Howe division? Something like like Atlantic, Metro. It's bizarre. Yeah, so a little bit of realignment this year, which means it's going to be harder in the Eastern Conference to make the playoffs than Western Conference. Slightly. Slightly, I mean. I mean unless you got more garbage teams at the bottom, then the top-heavy teams should be able to. Pull away. It'd be harder for teams like the Sabres to make it. I think it's going to be interesting, the Canadian teams in the Eastern Conference. Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto all seem pretty good. be interesting to see. I think Ottawa has a really nice roster. Just seeing how they do. Toronto, I'm sure they're pumped about their 3-0 start. Sure. Toronto is one of those teams that we talk about analytics sometimes that advanced stats said last year that they were one of the most fortunate teams in the league because – Someone has this stat that has to do with puck possession. That's the that's the big thing in the NHL now is puck possession. Teams that possess the puck more tend to win the games more. And Toronto is one of the worst teams in the league that with that last year. 
and they still managed to make the playoffs. They're three and zero right now. So we'll see. I don't know. Toronto seems to do it with smoke and mirrors. Every I I never trust their goaltending. Uh, they don't seem to have much scoring beyond Kessel, and they lost some of their scoring. Detroit's in the East. Yeah, that's this year. That's that's one of the things that's no good for teams like Buffalo because now you've got a team that's made it for what twenty years or so straight, something like that. They're going to make it again. Yeah, they I'm sure gonna, look like it. I'm going to boldly predict that. Uh, Pittsburgh, I think, is going to be really good again. Flyers have already made a coaching change. They yeah, fired their coach. Yeah, I'll talk about more of that. Start. My one last thing, okay. I think. But yeah, so we'll save that for that. And uh, out west, I mean, I think Chicago. No reason to. Th- not to think that they'll be really good again this year. Didn't lose as much as they did last time after they won the Cup. Right, right. Come back with a much better squad this year. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how some of the younger teams play. Colorado, how they develop. Winnipeg's now back in the West, which made for a cool moment with Solani coming back to Winnipeg the other night. I, I guess it'll be interesting to see what uh, how the season plays out. Now we're back to the 82-game schedule instead of the 48-game schedule to see if if teams maybe benefited from that, because I we talked about maybe picking teams for the playoffs, and I don't see a lot of change. And obviously, there will be teams that make it that didn't, and vice versa. But it sure seems like even with the realignment, that the good teams are still going to be in there. And I think Phoenix has a chance to be a really good team, and I'm interested to see how good they are, what kind maybe. of support. Yeah, they that's get. a tough division too. Yeah, what I mean, kind of they're all they're all tough, I guess. But all right, so what do you want to do next? You want to make some predictions? Sure, let's do it. Go for it. All right, let's start with the uh, NHL MVP, and I'm going to say it's Alex Ovechkin this year. All right, I'm going to say Crosby. I think I'm going to say this. We're making boring predictions at MVP, but sure. MVP are always boring predictions because you pretty much know who the best players are. But anytime Sidney Crosby plays a full season, I think he's going to be the MVP. No, I would agree with that totally. So. I am going to put my money on him playing the whole season. The other problem with so Crosby, to him. the only other thing that would detract votes from Crosby if is, Malkin has a is right, right. If Malkin has a strong year, that's it depends. Again, this goes back to the argument in any sport. What is the most valuable player? Is the most valuable to his team? Because Crosby's missed big chunks of the year, and Pittsburgh doesn't miss him record-wise. So, But, yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. If I thought he'd stay healthy the whole year, he'd be my pick too. Rookie of the year. I went with Nathan McKinnon. I think Colorado doesn't lack in scoring, and they added a player that can score, so there's no reason to think he doesn't have big numbers. I think he's got something like two points through the first two games already. So, again, not probably a big stretch of a pick. I was going to go with Druan, but they sent him back to junior, so he's not (laughs) going to win it. No, he's not going to win it. I uh, thought about McKinnon and was probably going to pick him, but I'll go with Seth Jones. I Okay. I just think that he's going to make a lot of teams wonder why they didn't pick him right he's, away. He's in Nashville, right? In Nashville, That's yeah. Right. I think he's a good fit there. So I like Seth Jones. All right, the Vesna this year, I went with Yaroslav Halak out of St. Louis. Uh, they're just a team that, with like I said, those advanced stats, I think they're one of those teams that possesses the puck a lot. They play good defense. They've actually won their first two games by a combined score of 11-2. to two. Not that that's going to carry out through the rest of the season but they're always a tough defensive team Halak's a good goalie and uh yeah I I think they're going to be a really good team this year man I so wanted to pull the trigger on Luongo just as like a crazy pick doesn't have anyone behind behind him him anymore anymore. right right you know yeah that's part of the problem now picking Vesna's it's hockey's almost become 
like the plateau in football running backs. Like goalies have almost become like running backs, but Halak is one of the goalies that plays most of the games. And but I just don't have the guts to trust Luongo, so I'll go with go boring and go with Blomquist. I just yeah. think he's the best in it. Right and again, now. he's one of the guys that's going to play 70 games this yep, year or and, whatever. And he's going to play in the Olympics, and I think that that's fine for him. I, I almost th- wanted to say Miller because of that, but I think they're really going to try to get Enroth every third game. Right. And I'm not sure Miller can win it with 50 or 45 games or whatever. Uh, Coach of the year, this is a homer pick, and just because it'll make sports talk locally unbearable because the Sabres are going to be bad, I'll say that Lindy Ruff – wins the coach of the year with Dallas. Oh, that would not surprise me. Lindy Ruff is a good coach. Yep. His really is a good coach. I'm going to go with someone who I used to think was a really good coach, and then last year I didn't think was a good coach at all, and maybe he's going to bounce back. I know his team's going to win a lot of games. I'll go with Dan Bilesma. Okay. I'm going to say this. He's either going to win the coach of the year. He's probably going to get fired. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, I just think he could go either way for him, but I don't know. I he, just... was one, he was a case of firing the coach. Again, hockey's a... a a sport where firing a coach does work, usually maybe on some emotional level for a few games. But Bilesma, the year he came on, they won the cup, right? Or at least made a long run, and then they won it the next year maybe. Yeah, I, I like I like him. I think he's a good coach, and I think that that team's kind of a monster year. So Sure. That's always an interesting thing. I'd have to talk to someone like our buddy Matt who go, has season tickets. He hates tickets. him, I think. Does he really? Yeah, I think he probably is going to laugh at this pick. But. how do you how – do you, how hard is it – like if I went out there – and coach the Pittsburgh Penguins. Are they going to lose? Are they are they not going to win forty games still this year? You know what I mean. I think the the thing you have trouble doing is a like having any sense of control. Well, right, <laughs> they're and, not going to uh, respect me. And B, <laughs> I think you might be you, you're going to have to make sure you surround yourself with people who can run special teams and stuff. Right, you know where system is really important. Sure, unless you have some specific systems that you think. You're yeah, I've been want. keeping them in my pocket. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the Penguins have a monster year. What about uh, you going to make what's next? Cup picks? Sure. All right. What do you got? Boy, the West is tough. Uh, give me St. Louis, and let's go with uh, – boy, I guess let's go with Pittsburgh. I mean, it's it's not a bold pick on either end probably, but Pittsburgh's just the type of team that if they can stay healthy. And their problem in the playoffs is they got to find – some grittiness because teams push them around in the playoffs and Baltimore or Baltimore, Boston embarrassed them. This is the part where I'm supposed to say when I flub stuff up that I've been watching, breaking doing bad. nothing but yeah. watching breaking bad. So I'm out of the sports loop a little bit this past week, but uh, yeah, Boston pushed them around the year before that. I think it was uh Philly Philly yeah. that pushed them around. Yeah. So they have to figure out the answer to that. And maybe that's in a guy that isn't Dan Bilesma. Maybe that's what Matt hates about. This him. is maybe what I'm going to say they need to do. Stick with their team. When right. they're when they're first in the East in March, don't trade for Jerome Ginla to play out of position at the expense of a yep. guy who had thirty goals playing with Crosby. Right. Stick with your team, go through. I'm gonna pick the Penguins in the East too. I'm gonna pick Phoenix in the West. I think that they have a really good team. Their ownership thing is settled. Uh it's a couple of Yale guys that own the team. Oh yeah. I just I think uh I think Phoenix is gonna Phoenix is gonna win it and I'll pick the Penguins to win the cup over Phoenix. Now, I know we say every single year that uh, the trade deadline is like one of the most fun days in any sport. Can you think of any – you're talking about a Ginlow. That wasn't a deadline day, I don't think. But it no, was, it was a little bit before. Right, but it was yeah. basically a deadline move. Has that ever worked other than maybe Mark Recchi, you could argue, in, in Boston? 
And even then, it was just to add a character guy. It wasn't. It didn't work for our President's Trophy team when we added, uh, who was it, Zubris? Daniel Zubris, yep. That was who the president, it didn't work for us. No. Nope. I mean, it, it's hard to say, but I, I think that. I think more often than not, if you're going to add something, you're going to add a guy like Mark Recchi who's going to play on your third line or second line or your second power play that, that has character and has done it before. But, yeah, I totally agree. Adding Jerome McGillan, I guess you'd never want to stop improving, even if you're the best team in the league, but that that was an odd move with the benefit of hindsight. All right, we are going to take a break and talk. come back, talk more hockey with Bucky Gleason from the Buffalo News. Our next guest is from Hamburg, New York, and is a graduate of Buff State College. Since 1998, he's been a sports writer for the Buffalo News and has recently stepped down writing the Inside the NHL column that he took over from Hall of Fame sports writer Jim Kelly. A warm sportscaster's welcome for the very first time to Bucky Gleason. How are you doing today, Bucky? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, and here we finally are talking back and forth on Twitter and stuff like that. Really excited to have you on at the beginning of the hockey season. First thing I want to kind of throw at you, it was interesting that you uh, your first year at the paper was 1998. You officially outlasted Lindy Ruff. Yeah, it is. You guys kind of came and, in well, together and now you, you outlasted one of your adversaries there. That, that, it's funny that you say that. Uh, I was actually, I was working for the Associated Press in, in 1995 and 1996 and 1997, and that was that was before he was hired. I covered those. Those teams, the last two years at Memorial Auditorium with Ted Nolan, and I was around for, you know, the big mess that happened when Darcy Regeer was was uh, hired to replace John Muckler, and then, uh, you know, Darcy Regeer ended up hiring Lindy Ruff, and there's a little backstory there, and that is, you know, when I was a kid, um, I used to sneak into the yard and I would watch the games from the standing room only section, and and that was up near the press box, and. I distinctly remember Lindy Ruff. Uh, he was a, a, a young player, a rookie, and he was watching a lot of games in the press box back then. So um, I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I think I was 12 years old, and I was up near the press box watching the Sabres game. And Lindy Ruff was was coming out of the press box, and he, you know, something caught his attention, and he asked me. He said, "Hey, you know, would you like to uh, check this out? Would you like to, you know, see what it looks like from inside the press box?" I said, "Absolutely. You know, sure." <laughs> You know who wouldn't turn that, or who would turn down that opportunity? And so, the, my very, very first time that I was ever in any press box, it was with Lindy Ruff at Memorial Auditorium. So when he was hired, you know, I I remember that that happening like it was yesterday. And when he was hired, I shared that story. He told me at the time that he did that for a few kids over the years, and I remember telling him, "Hey, look, you know, at some point you're going to get fired here, and you're only going to have yourself to blame for uh, for taking me up there with you." <laughs> so we had a we had a little chuckle out of that, and uh, you know, sure enough, years later, much longer than I would have ever expected, you know, Lindy was fired last year. So what do you think the reaction? A little bit weird. What do you think the reaction is going to be like when he finally comes back? Heroes welcome, right? You know, I hope so. Um, you know, I've seen the fans react in different ways here in Buffalo, and you know that's what that's what fans do. Um, you know, they, they booed Chris Drury, they booed Danny Briere, even though those, those two guys gave them some of their greatest days in history. 
Um, and you never really know how you're going to react, um, how they're going to react. I would expect nothing but a warm welcome. I hope that's what happens when, when Lindy shows up and, and comes back into the building because that's what he deserved. I mean, he's, he won more games. He won more playoff games. He coached more games than any coach in history. And I think that, uh, you know, when you look back, he, he made a mark, a good mark on, on this franchise. And I think that he deserves nothing but, but the warmest of cheers when he comes back to Buffalo. You know, thinking about this year's team, I think the first question that, that comes to mind is which one of these forwards do you think is going to be the guy to break Gretzky's goal record this year? <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it could be any, any one of them, really. You know, just, which, Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, Gretzky, he scored more in the, his first three years in the league than some of these guys. Most of these guys will score in their career. Right. So, uh, no, it's going to be an interesting year. I asked Ron Ralston today, as a matter of fact, where do you expect these goals to come from? And he said everywhere. And, you know, I couldn't help but think to myself, they're coming from nowhere right now. Right. And that's a serious problem that the Sabres have. And uh, I don't see it going away. They're only hoping that they can uh, somehow, you know, find a little bit of chemistry and, 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 you know, maybe have some of these young guys gain a little bit of confidence where the, the puck starts going in that form. But I, I don't see that. They're going to have a, a problem scoring goals all season long. You know, I think going into this season, I didn't have very high expectations, at, well, very low expectations, maybe the lowest I've ever had, especially since I've been, you know, having season tickets and going to all the games basically post-lockout, but post, well, two lockouts ago now. But um, I think they tricked me a little bit in the preseason. I said, well, maybe if everything goes right, they can be best case sixth or seventh, and, you know, but still, if everything goes wrong, they're gonna, they could be last. And I don't know, three games in, I still think it's going to be a lot closer to last than six, but I will say that, and I said this walking out of the arena after the home opener, was that the team started 2-0 and last year, 0-2 this year, but I'd much rather watch this team than that miserable team last year, I think. Yeah, I understand that. Um, you know, it all depends on what you're looking for. Um, I, I certainly would expect a greater effort from this team because there has been some turnover. They've gotten some of the, the stale old blood out of here. And I think that can only help a team when, it, when a bunch of young players comes together from an effort standpoint. From a production standpoint, I'm not so sure. Um, you, know, have, you have a few guys on this roster right now who probably aren't ready to play in the NHL. They, they could use another year, or in some cases two, in the AHL or some other league where they can develop. The, the Sabres are trying to develop these guys on the fly, which is not an ideal way of going about things. Um, and, and through that, they're going to go through some, some painful stretches. I mean, there's no question about it. So they looked to me like they were, you know, they lost the first game 2-1 to one to Detroit, and I thought that they were completely overwhelmed despite the score. Um, that was one of the biggest blowouts I've ever seen in a 2-1 game. And, you know, I thought they played really well against Ottawa. Miller obviously, you know, was terrific and, and kept them in the game for as long as he could. And then, you know, again, they went back to Pittsburgh where you have a couple of star players and Crosby and Malkin, and, and they looked overwhelmed again. So, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of that. With youth comes, you know, inconsistency. So you're going to see some stretches that, that you're not going to like. Um, you're going to see mistakes that, that, you, you com- that are common among young players. And, um, you know, and you're going to see the same, a lot of the same stuff that you've seen some veteran players. So, you know, as well as, as the young guys, I think, have played in the first three games and the effort has been there, the, the production has, has not been there. And, um, you know, and they've had also had some problems with, with some guys making mistakes that, that shouldn't be making them in some of their veteran guys. 
Uh, last thing about the the Sabers, I got some other things I want to ask you. The big thing going into the season, the off season, and through the season is what what do they do with with Vanek and Miller? And I guess just asking, I mean, in your opinion, what's the best case scenario for the team in handling the last few months of these guys' contracts here? Well, to me, the best case scenario would be that they would have somebody else handling it. Um, <laughs> that would be the best case scenario to me, which means that they would have a new general manager in place. But I don't see that happening. So if you look at it this way, um, you know, those two guys probably should be gone already. Um, I really don't even see a place for them on this team because if you're going to rebuild, you, don't, you really don't need Ryan Miller in these games, um, you know, to help them rebuild. I mean, you, you have Jonas Enroth. It looks like he's going to be their guy for the future. I don't see Miller or Vanek sticking around long term after this season. So then you have to get into a situation where you try and find out what you can get, you know, in the trade market and – you know, Ryan Miller has one year and six and a quarter million left on his contract, and and Vanek has one year and six point four million left on his contract. And I guess as you get closer to the trade deadline, you you hope that you find a team that's desperate for a goaltender. Um, and in Vanek's case, I mean, I think every any any team that's looking for one extra player to get them over the top, uh, they're gonna they're gonna look for a score going into the playoffs. Goals are hard to come by in the playoffs, as we all know. Uh, Vanek has a great knack for scoring them. I would love to see him on a team where there's a bunch of talent around him. I think that he would take off. And, um, you know, I think that Vanek is probably the guy that gets you more re- in return in a trade, uh, if only because, you know, I think that, that a team will be willing to, to throw out a first-round pick and a draft – or a, a first-round pick and a, and a prospect uh, for a guy like him if they think that he can uh, help them to a Stanley Cup. Just just to play devil's advocate slightly on that, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with the whole best-case scenario being another guy thing, but I think that the strength of Regeer as a general manager is more as a seller than a buyer, for sure. He seems to be maybe the ultimate tight-budget GM, uh, but he did get a great haul for Pavonville, way more than I would have ever thought he would. Why w- wouldn't he be able to do the same for Vanek? And I guess I'm more optimistic about moving him for something than than Miller, though, because Miller's going to be a tough sell at the deadline. If the Blackhawks, if that team didn't make a move for a goalie last year and still won, I don't know necessarily who's going to want to make a move for a goalie. I think he's going to be tougher, but you're not confident that that, uh, that Regeer can make a good trade for Vanekir, sort of like he did for Pommonville and some other guys it, over it, the years? It, it, it's a very good question. Let me, uh, let me handle Miller first. Okay. Um, in Miller's case, you know, it's going to be hard to find a playoff team that needs a goaltender because if you're in the playoffs already – Chances are you have a pretty good goaltender, and you're already set in goal. So that that's that's a problem that they're right. going to have with Miller. And the Blackhawks from um, last year are a great example, I think, of that. Yeah, I mean, you know I mean? yeah, and they, yeah, there are teams they, out there that have proven that they can right. win without you know a so-called elite goaltender. Although Ryan has really been pretty average for the last several years. Uh, the Vanek situation is a little bit different. Darcy has done; he has made some good moves uh, over the years. I don't want anybody to ever think that I disregard, you know, the, some of the good trades that he's made. It, it hasn't been a total disaster. I look at the big picture and how this team has been constructed, and I see a failure. Um, you're not going to get a, a, a trade that he made, in, like he did with Pominville, for this reason more than any other. Jason Pominville had two years left on his contract. Right. So if the team is going to get him for the remainder of one year and the full following season, they're going to be willing to give up more for him. And he did make a good deal. I did like the the move that he made there with you know with Larson. You get Hackett. You might have some pieces there that you can build with. 
But to expect the same thing in a Vanek trade when the guy really is a little bit more than a rental, um, I think is asking too much. Yeah, that's a fair point. Vanek's a little bit of a better player than Pommerville, though. I mean, I guess. Vanek is a better scorer. Right, right, um, right. Vanek is probably a better player. Pommerville is much better defensively. And Pommerville can help you kill penalties. So yeah, he does more. He's probably going right. to give you just as much, if not more, quality ice time. It's a matter of how you view players and whether or not you know, that needs to show up in, in, the, in the goal scoring department or you know, on the stat sheet or, or what have you. So it's something, it is something to watch. And you know, they're two different players that, that bring different elements to the game. Um, you know, and, both, and both are very good. So you know, they should be able to get something for him. I think Vanek, you know, the time to trade him would have been at the same time that they traded Pommonville, and um, or at least over the summer or at the draft or what have you. Uh, keep, keeping him here you know, and having him play through this season on what looks to be a long year uh, just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Talking with Bucky Gleason from the Buffalo News, a couple small things I'm curious about, then we'll let you go. I know you're, you're going out to the game tonight. Uh, why now for, uh, for, getting, for stopping the inside of the NHL column? Usually if you stop something, it means because you want to do something else. Is there something specific that you're looking to do more of, or, or was it just, I don't know? Just yeah, it, it actually it looks like now, but it really isn't. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a decision that I, that I made last year. Uh, it was during the NHL lockout. And, you know, when there was no hockey, I was doing a lot of other things. I was covering college basketball. I was able to get to, to some college hockey stories that I normally wouldn't have been able to cover. Um, you know, I've, I've covered the Olympics three different times, and, and when you're at the Olympics, you're not just there covering hockey. You cover a lot of different stuff. So I always enjoyed, you know, all sports. I wasn't always just hooked into hockey to begin with. And quite frankly, the time away from the game, it allowed me to do some other things that I really missed. You know, I... I love college basketball, and I was able to get to more college football games. And, you know, I had the odd, uh, you know, feature on, on various uh, topics, you know what I mean, and, and how they involved uh, w- with sports and, and human interest stories, and, and I really, really enjoyed that. And you know what? The fact of the matter is I did inside the NHL for 13 years. And, you know, you've heard me, or if you've been reading my columns closely enough, you know that I've said over and over again, um, that the Sabres need a new set of eyes on them. And that was mostly uh, directed toward Darcy Regeer. But, you know, I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, I think this column needs a new set of eyes too. And if somebody else wants to, uh, to come in and, and have a fresh look at the, at the league and, how, and with a, bring a different perspective, I think it's good for the newspaper. And John Vogel's going to be that guy. He's, he's terrific. He knows the, the NHL from the inside. Um, he's around it, you know, every day. And uh, it's going to be a really good opportunity for him. And, and lastly, you know, it's a good opportunity for me. So I think it's a win all the way around. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited. I've been excited about it for a while. And, you know, the fact that the announcement came earlier this week um, was really just more, a little bit more than a formality for me. Is there something looking back? I can't believe it was 13 years that you did that. It seems like a lot less than that that I remember reading uh, Jim Kelly's last one but looking back is there anything you're most proud of about doing the column or anything maybe you wish you did if it's the other way or, or you know going away from it now what are you going to remember most about you it? You know it's funny that you ask that I don't mean to sound like an athlete but I really haven't spent a whole lot of time looking back because I've been so involved with what I was doing at the time that I really had looked back on, on a lot of those columns. I will say this that um, you know in the odd times that I've had to look back and I, I, I look at um, 
you know, some of the things that I was writing, you know, eight and ten years ago, a lot of those things held up. They were true, or they, they ended up being true. And, you know, I can go back to a time when John Regis uh, was – uh, he owned the Sabres, and, you know, I mean, at the time, they could really do no wrong. The, the John Regis and Tim Regis, and and I remember writing in Inside the NHL um, that, you know, there was some real trouble, and I was wondering, you know, I had three questions. Did, did they do anything illegal? Or is anybody going to jail? And are the Sabres moving out of town? And, you know, I sent the column in, and, and I had an editor there at the time saying, you know, do you have any idea what you're saying here? I mean, this is the Reguses, and... You know, these people, I mean, they've come in here, you know, they own Adelphia and they are loaded with money. And how could you possibly even insinuate something like this? And I remember being in, in a bit of a, a discussion about that column. And, you know, when that, when it all came to be, unfortunately, uh, I was right. Um, you know, John and Tim Regis did go to jail. Um, the Sabres did go into, into bankruptcy and um you know and and for a while there they were up for sale so uh it was a it was a time where i really you know i felt like i was out on the limb but but that's an example of where i was out on the limb but i was right you know last thing and this is kind of when the idea of having you on kind of first came up was something i thought i would kind of really the whole thing would just be debating this but i think my opinion has changed a little bit and maybe yours has too and just to give a little background, years ago now, probably four or five, you wrote a column that, you know, kind of picked a bone for for my family specifically, and, and maybe others. Just, and it's too bad I couldn't find it. I looked for a long time. I don't know the archives. Maybe I maybe I missed it. But if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But I, the general thesis was just maybe maybe the focus was more on parents who with unrealistic expectations and kind of the the route that they they took in, in their in their kids and and what they were what their goal, their ultimate goals were maybe the point was you know there's only one pack cane maybe but i think the way we took it was more of you know it's so hard to do that you shouldn't even try you should focus on other things and at the time i had a brother uh playing for St. Francis Prep and we talked about it and we said you know just use this to show why you should try and it kind of worked out for him. And I think probably since you've written that column, I know that you've you spent a lot more time writing about people from here. You just wrote a really great piece about Kevin Ryan at Niagara. And I guess I'm ultimately just curious about how you feel about that column now and if your opinion is the same or different or maybe yeah, if that I Yeah, I remember the I know the column that you're, you're talking about specifically. And uh, I'd have to look it up again, but I'm pretty sure that in there, I said this isn't for players to. This isn't meant in, intended for players to stop dreaming. It was it was specifically pointed toward parents. And I remember talking to Craig Reve in the Sabres dressing room about it. In fact, I remember exactly where we were in the Sabres. Right, I remember Reve was was a part of it for sure. Yep. And uh, and basically, it was that you know there's so many parents involved in youth in youth sports nowadays, and a lot of times they get in the way, and they have unrealistic dreams that their son is going to grow up to be you know, the next Patrick Kane. Um, and, and the chances of that happening are minuscule. I mean, you're t- the NHL is, is the best league in the world. And I remember, you know, Reve really as much as anybody pointing that out and saying, you know, this is, you know, if, if that's your thought process, you need to change your thought process. And, you know, I've seen it over and over again. You know, I have kids that play sports. I have a son who plays hockey. And I watched uh, people year after year after year uh, become delusional about the ability of their own children. And it was really a shame. I wanted to put, put 
things in perspective and get people to understand parents mostly it was it was really directed toward them uh not trying to uh kill the dream of of some kid that's playing hockey in fact i remember saying specifically go out there and and do your best and and play as hard as you can and see where it takes you but parents need to uh they need to be real, realistic about it yeah and i see and i don't think that's an unfair point and i, I just wonder why we took it a different way. I don't remember specifically. Like I said, I couldn't find it. But well, um, I think you know, and that's natural because you know, I think there are a few people that took it that took it that way, and maybe you know how it's perceived is is up to the reader. It's not really uh, always up to me. And sometimes if it strikes a chord, you know, and you're saying, "Wait a minute," you know, I'm 12 years old or I'm 14 years old, and I'm doing the best that I can, and I'm a good player. Why is this unrealistic? You know, it's not unrealistic for everybody, but the chances when you do the math on it. You know, and, and I, I think the stat is like it's three out of every 200 uh, uh, kids gets a chance to play in college at some level of college, not even Division One college. So, you know, when you get up to the Division One level of all sports and, and hockey in particular, when you really do the math and there's, what, 60-some-odd schools, and that means there's only about uh, 240 or, or so, 300 scholarships a year that are handed out. Half of them go to Canadians. A good portion of those go to Europeans. It doesn't leave a whole lot left over for, you know, for for kids in the U.S. and in particular, you know, kids from Buffalo. So you really, really start to fight the math, and that's really all that I was trying to explain. And that is for parents to be realistic about what their kids' chances were before, you know, they start making plans for, you know, a full scholarship to a Division One college that, you know, chances are your your child's not going to get. Fair point. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You can read Bucky in the Buffalo News, buffalonews.com. Well, you can read at least 10 of his articles a month on buffalonews.com unless you subscribe or something. <laughs> That's good, Steve. Right. Like <laughs> and uh, you can follow Bucky on Twitter. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. All right, Steve. No All problem. All right, thanks to Bucky Gleason and Mike Tanier for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find today's podcast and all of our podcasts on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. You're up first today, Don. All right, one more thing from me. Peter Laviolette, we mentioned earlier, was fired from Philly after a slow start. Uh, And that is almost an exaggeration of what a slow – they're 0-3. He got fired after three games. And my question is, if this guy was on such thin ice that he was going to get fired after three games, why even keep him this season at all? Uh, It's ridiculous. The Flyers are a team that I dislike uh, from a fan standpoint, but I almost respect it a little bit a few years back when Holmgren traded Carter and Richards because it seemed like they couldn't win with them. And that's kind of something the Sabres have done the opposite of. They've got these guys that they can't seem to win with, but they hang on to them forever. And now we're in the situation with Vanek and Miller and so on and so forth. But that said, he trades Carter and Richards. Uh, they both go on to <laughs> win a Stanley Cup right. in L.A. So, And the Flyers have been kind of lousy since then. And, boy, I... I sure, don't. sure, broke Richards and Carter's heart when they seen that they're own three and firing. Yeah, the yeah. So this team has totally done a one eighty in my 
view and uh, they go back and forth like this. Like the last time they fired a coach, it would seem it was the Sabers who buried him, right, with that nine-one game and our right. president's trial, and they they're firing. And then next thing you know, the Sabers are down and they're back up again, and they're beating. They're you know they went to that cup against uh, Chicago. But it you just know? seems like, and then now they're back again. It's like every other year they flip the roster. So the much. move they made is the ballsy move that you always want your coach to make because it might not work and it might work. And I loved it at the time, but it sure looks like it might not have worked, <laughs> and it cost the coach their job. <laughs> right. Uh, one last thing for the show today, and I really want to talk about Pearl Jam and Steve <laughs> Gleason. I really do, but I can't not absolutely kill the Braves. For this absolute joke of a performance in the postseason, we talked about the despicable disrespect that they showed Chipper Jones in front of a barely full Turner Field because they can't even sell out game one of a playoff game at home after a 90-plus win season. That's a joke, first of all. Atlanta, you got to be the worst sports city in America that's not in Florida, if you're not the worst anyway. That's pathetic, pathetic. Then they do this hideous tomahawk chop thing which if any tradition in sports has run its course it's that <laughs> but besides the fact that it may or not may or may not be racist i seem to think it probably is based on some of the things i read on twitter it's just annoying and ridiculous sure and then okay you lose to clinton to clayton kershaw in game one no big deal he's an ace whatever he pitched a one hitter Whatever he pitched against you, you lost. Big deal. Except for it happens every single year. This team has never beaten an ace in the postseason. <laughs> Whether it's Mark Pryor pitching a one-hitter against them, or it's Kurt Schilling in 93 for the Phillies, or it's, I don't know, name a guy. Uh, anyone. Any ace that they've ever played in the playoffs, it crushes them. <laughs> and then their aces are not that good in the playoffs. Do you think they get blasted if they went with the strategy of, okay, let's put our third guy in against their ace and put our ace against their next two guys? No, and unfortunately for the Braves, their true ace, Beachy, is still battling Tommy John and wasn't available. So I'll give him a pass on that. And Medlin is sort of an ace, but not really. And look, he lost to Kershaw. No big deal. And then they do what they always do. They bounce back in game two and they win the game. And it's like, okay, now let's go on the road and get a split. And then we'll come back to 78% field, Turner Field, and we'll win game five. Well, nope, they didn't do that this year because they got their ass kicked in game four. They didn't even show up. They just got pounded in game four. And then, or in game three, excuse me, to go down 2-1. And then in game four, okay, the Dodgers make the bold move because it's the playoffs. And that's what you do in the playoffs. Mattingly makes a bold move and he brings back his ace, Kershaw, on three days rest because he doesn't want to go back to that raucous scene in Turner Field. He wants to win it in his stadium, a real stadium, by the way, a real baseball stadium with a real atmosphere for the playoffs. He wants to win it there. So Kershaw does something he's never done before. He pitches on three days rest, but guess what? The Braves weathered that storm. They got some runs off of him, thanks to the Dodgers kind of throwing the ball around in that inning, but whatever. It's three to three. The Braves got a 40-plus-year-old journeyman pitcher to match Kershaw pitch for pitch. And they lose. They leave that game tied 3-3. It's a three-inning game. A three-inning game that will be decided surely with the best pitcher in baseball pitching at least one, if not two of those innings. And that guy's on the Braves team. So the Braves, what do they do? Oh, they get a lead. (laughs) Oh, look at this. Braves are up. How about that? Oh, good. All right, let's go to the eighth inning. Well, let's see. We really need to win this game, 
right? And we got six innings out of our old starter, and then we got another inning out of a reliever. So now what should we do for the eighth inning? Should we bring Kim, K- Craig Kimbrell in? Because he's the heir apparent to Mariano Rivera. He's the next greatest of all time closer. Should we bring him in? Nope. Nope. He's never done that before. He's never gotten a save with more than four outs, so we can't do it because he's never done it before. He could never get six outs in a game. Never. No, we're going to bring our setup guy in because he's been our setup guy not for a year, not for two years, ten years. No, since August. He's been the setup guy since August. we got to bring him in. He's been our guy. He's gotten us here for the last month and a half pitching the eighth inning. Maybe the worst month and a half of the season. Well, definitely the worst month and a half of the season, which is why they're playing the Dodgers and not the Pirates. That's another story. Can, so, I, jump? Can I ask a question? Yeah. Are baseball purists, like old school guys, are they killing defending the this? Okay, killing they're the killing Braves. him for this. Okay. Killing the Braves. Because that seems like old thinking, like he can't possibly pitch. Oh, no. You couldn't pitch two innings for a closer? <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he's only done his only his longest save ever was four outs. He only has two times in his career where he's gotten six outs in a game. You can't do that. And the manager said, "You know what? I didn't even consider it." Not good. Are you kidding me, buddy? It's the playoffs. You're down 2 to 1. If you lose the game, the season's over. <laughs> over. And by the way, the leadoff hitter for the Dodgers is the maybe the best player in the National League. Maybe the best player. Okay, nope, we'll bring it. Oh, and what did the best player do? He hit a double. Oh, shocker. Oh, we got a man on second. Nobody out. Well, maybe we should bring Kimberly in now because he's in the bullpen and standing there with the ball in his glove and his hands on his hips. Let's bring him in now. Nope, nope. We got to stick with this guy. He's the one who got us here since August, pitching the eighth inning. We're going to stick with him. And then next guy, he can't get a bunt down. He tries. I don't know why they're bunting, but I was pleased with it. Nope, can't get the bunt down. So... On an 0-2 pitch, we groove one down the middle. The guy hits it 750 feet, 4-3, to three quick outs in the ninth, season over, game over. Oh, my God, Braves. Craig Kimbrell, who was pissed, and I don't know exactly what he said, but there's a video. Maybe you can read his lips. Jeff Passon tweeted, he thought it said, no, I'm mad because I told him if we had a lead, I could do two innings. So he wants to come in, he's ready to come in, he's standing there, hands on his hips, ball in his glove, watching the ball sail out of the ballpark, season go away, because there's no way the heir apparent to Mariano Rivera could possibly pitch two innings in a game. And imagine if they brought him in in the eighth inning, and he, he got like out of there in ten pitches. Right. Like, well then what? He couldn't come back and pitch ten or fifteen more in the second inning, right? Because... No, no, no. Can't pitch more than one inning. He's never done it before. He's never got more than four outs for a save. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because Mariano Rivera, what in the game seven of the 2003 ALCS, he pitched three innings, and it was a tie game. He pitched three tie-inning games, and then he ran out into the – after Aaron Boone hit his home run, he's laying on the mound in Yankee Stadium, you know, collecting the dirt – crying the Yankees fans are celebrating Mariano Rivera you know how many times in the playoffs he pitched more than one inning I do not 24 <laughs> but Craig Kimbrell can't do it once well it's not like this guy has been pitching his entire life no he couldn't possibly <laughs> pitch two innings ah oh, Braves what a joke Chop- Choptober is over